Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne, and with co-host Bill, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present, and to acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from the effect of drug, alcohol, gambling and food and other addictions. Today the focus is on smart recovery. Smart recovery is a self-empowering approach that helps people achieve independence from addictive and problematic behaviours. Smart is a global community and has a presence in over 26 countries around the world. This week I'm joined by April Long. She's the CEO of Smart Recovery Australia. April is calling in from Sydney. Welcome April. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, Now, as well as being the CEO of Smart Recovery Australia, April has lived experience of family members with alcohol and other addictions. April, would you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think it's so important that um, we share our stories of this experience and we centre them when we're having these conversations. Um, I, too, just want to acknowledge country. I'm actually up on a Wobbacool country and my mother from the Central Coast and Mid-North Coast of New South <laughs> Wales. So the stories I'm going to share are um, from my family um, uh-huh. and the, you know, substance that was most um, concerned to my family has been alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and increasingly, gambling um, has become a problematic behaviour for some of my loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say family, you know, this is generations from my grandparents to my parents, um, and my generation. So, you know, growing up, I don't really remember a, a single family function where there wasn't a lot of alcohol. Mm. Um, and I'm sure there may have been, but, um, you know, it was just so prevalent and so impactful. And um, the the one continuity or, or consistency across those family members um, is trauma and, mm-hmm. and grief and loss. Um, so that's been the, the main... Um, substance and I'm really proud to say that my father celebrates 12 years of sobriety <laughs> this year. That's great. Um, but, you know, he, he had a lot of trauma in his life. Um, he lost his father to suicide at, at quite a young age. Um, and, you know, my father, um, my, my pop, his father was placed in a Kinshler boys' home and, mm. you know, um, the impact that has had on him, I recently obtained his removal certificate mm. um, and... You know, his mother's name was simply listed as Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no last name, you know. So yep. my grandfather growing up, he never knew his nan. And, you know, I think that's had um, a massive impact on him, that, that history of, of dispossession and, yep. and discrimination and, and loss of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, April, can you talk about the stresses that this put you under? So how does this land in your life? 
I think, um, you know, now I obviously, you know, I, I have the language to be able to talk about intergenerational trauma and um, grief and, and I, I understand those pathways. But, you know, as a young child, um, you know, it was being in an unpredictable environment um, and that had its challenges. You know, I wish I'd known what we talk about at Smart Recovery as the four C's, which is, you know, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, you can't control it, um, all you can do is cope with it. Um, mm. But I was, you know, one of those young people who were really wanting to fix um, the people in my life, you know. Mm. Um, I still have to work on that and remind myself um, that, you know, the people who I love who are, you know, in addiction, they need to want to change. And there's so much more than their addiction. And, you know, um, what we need to do is love and support them, but also exercise our own self-care. So, you know, I think the stresses as a child were quite different to what they are now. But, you know, the, the tips or the reminders and, you know, the key things we need to put in place, uh, like having healthy boundaries, you know, having a support network, um, they remain the same, you know, for yeah. children and for adults. Um, but, yeah, it certainly has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um so some in, I'm in another fellowship and we talk a lot about the powerlessness that we have over the um, person with the problematic behaviour. Um, and yet we still have to deal with a lot of issues around that, don't we? A lot of anger and uh, exhaustion um, mm. sometimes. Can you give some examples of how you've um, come to understand where your power lies and where it ends? Yeah, look, I think um, being powerless, being angry, being exhausted, I... I think I felt all of these things um, at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned, I, I didn't have healthy boundaries, um, and you know, I I was very stubborn and determined to try and <laughs> and, and cure. You know, um, and I think it took me a really long time to understand that. Um, you know, I was powerless in, in the sense that you know that individual has to seek. Um, help that individual has to want to change um, and it did take me quite a long time to establish that um, but also to understand that in terms of my own relationships and the way I was um, you know interacting with people I, I loved I needed to recalibrate a lot of those and that's mm-hmm. where I found my power you mm-hmm. know to, to really answer your question it was that you know um you, you could be, rebuild these relationships and I have effectively done that where, you know, these substances or behaviours don't have to be at the heart of those relationships um, because those individuals are so much more than those substances and so are those relationships. So I think over time it was, um, you know, gaining the tools to really understand that um, mm. and, you know, to love the people that I love for who they are um, and not judge them, you know, with that mm. um, that stigma and, and trying to control but really focus on myself, my goals, um, you know, creating a healthy environment for myself. Um, you know, I was, I was 15 when I left home, you know. Mm. I think that was a real turning point where I was able to, you know, focus on my own goals um, but also reshift how I saw addiction you know when I was younger I thought abstinence was the only way Mm -hmm. so I was really disappointed when I didn't see that in in people that I love 
Whereas now I, I have a greater understanding and I do have people in my life who can self-manage so that their behaviour isn't problematic. Um, and I know that every small step is positive. And, um, you know, as I said, I'm incredibly proud of, of those in my family ha- who have chose abstinence. And you know, my father having 12 years mm. up um, is a wonderful achievement. Um, but I think it's about what works for the individual. Yeah. You know, my partner, AA works for her, you know, mm-hmm. um, but AA doesn't work for everybody and smart recovery works for, for those that smart recovery works for. So we really try in our approach and our philosophy to meet people where they're at. Um, and, of course, we have participants who do both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's where they get their community and it's where they get their support. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's where I found my power is just reshifting my own expectations uh, that I had on others and, and focusing on myself and you know, living um, my life the way in which I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Can, for someone listening that's right in the thick of this at the moment and is probably doing, you know, a lot of the things that are not helpful, um, you know, putting the addiction at the centre of the person, could you mm. talk about how what that looks like or what that looked like for you and how that changed when you moved the addiction away from the centre? Yeah, look, I think... Um, I still slip up all the time is, is how I would answer that, that, you know, um, that putting your own uh, oxygen mask on kind of, you know, when I first heard that and it was first shared with me, um, I, I just fundamentally didn't understand it because I was one of those people who, you know, really did want to help and support those around me. Um, so the flip side of that is I have seen other family members who have, developed their own problematic behaviours because they haven't um, looked after themselves mm-hmm. whilst caring for another person um, or, you know, being in a relationship with another person. So, you know, I think it's really important that you practice self-care, that you find your community. Um, and if you're, you know, currently really concerned about somebody, you know, there are a few things that you can do and, and tips I, I learnt the hard way by doing the opposite of these, which is, you know, don't talk when you're angry or upset, you know, make mm-hmm. sure it's the right time to have a conversation. I think, um, you know, recovery is a, a very long process and, you know, it takes a long time and you need to kind of pick your moment, but recognise that you're not going to fix the person with those conversations. Mm-hmm. You can spark something you know, you can continue to have the conversation. But, um, you know, for someone to truly, you know, get control of, of the behaviour that's concerning them, they've got to develop a new sense of self, you know, a new purpose in their lives. Um, it's not linear and it takes time. So I think um, I really love the three Ps, which is practice, patience and persistence, uh-huh. um, because, you know, we see it all the time that people can... Um, change and, and live happy lives. But, you know, it's it's, it's hard, it's, it's sad, it's painful watching someone you love in pain, you know, um, and your personal goals and, and your individual happiness can become a very distant last. So, mm. you know, I think it's, it's really important that um, you don't carry it on your own, you know, you find your community. Um, we actually run groups for loved ones um, and... That was one of the catalysts for me coming across to Smart Recovery. Um, you know, about six months prior to, like, to myself taking this role, I I had a really close friend. Um, his 
his mum reached out to me. She was really concerned um, about his behaviours and, you know, smart recovery was all that I could find in mm. terms of supporting her because I could see the impact it was having on her. Of course I was concerned for my friend, but um, that's why I think our um, family and friends program is just so important for people because often they're struggling alone. You know, yeah. They're not reaching out. They're not having the conversations um, because of, of stigma or shame, but um, also they just don't know where to go. Yeah. Um, I'll just we'll read this out at the end of the show, but I'll just say to anyone now who is in that position, if they would like to contact Smart Recovery Australia, uh, you just go to smartrecoveryaustralia.com.au or you can call them on 02 9373 5100. So smartrecoveryaustralia.com.au or phone zero two nine three seven three five one zero zero, and we'll say that again at the end of the show. Um, just in the lead up to our, our first little break, April, how would you say overall this experience of um, being in the midst of a problematic behaviour and addiction and trauma uh, shaped your career and who you are as a person? I think it fundamentally has shaped who I am as a person and, and how I look at the world and, you know, of course, um, you know, my career and, and what I've chosen to dedicate my life to. Um, you know, prior to being the CEO at Smart Recovery, I was the National Operations Manager at Shine for Kids where you know, we were supporting um, children with a parent in prison. And mm. you know, I still remember the first time I, I found my parents' divorce papers and, you know, my father's occupation was listed as inmates at Central mm. Correctional Center. Mm. And, you know, during that work for five years, I met so many dads who were in custody due to alcohol and other drugs. And, you know, for me, it was like, I need to go upstream um, and do this work. And mm. so, you know, I actually trained um, as a lawyer. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I quickly realised, of course, the criminal justice system, you know, is, is a lot further down downstream and not where uh-huh. I wanted to be. Uh-huh. Um, but for Smart Recovery, when... You know, I saw we also run programs in prisons. I was completely heart-led because it was this moment where I was like, I need to do this work, you know, mm. full-time. This is what I need to, to commit my life to. You know, we need to stop criminalising trauma mm-hmm. and stigmatising people who have suffered significant losses and, you know, self-medicate. Um, you know, we need to support them um, and... Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, that, that incident with my friend and his mum, you know, there are so many people in our community who who just need support and I, I really believe we have great possibility in our country right now and, and great possibility at Smart Recovery because, you know, we're seeing governments who want to tackle this issue differently. Mm-hmm. You know, we know tough-on-crime approach isn't working and, you know, as a community, um, as Australians, you know, we need to follow up on that momentum and, and really call for a human rights approach that supports people and doesn't stigmatise them. Mm. Great. Okay, um, we'll go to a break. This is um, our first song for the show today, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, um, and then we'll be right back after that.
get a fast car I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Get a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just cross the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs. Finally see what it means to be living. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him So I quit school and that's what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? We gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast I felt like I was drunk City lights stay out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged Someone, be someone, be someone. You got a fast car. We go cruise and entertain ourselves. Still ain't got a job. Now work in the market as a checkout girl. I know things will get better. You'll find work and I'll get promoted. We'll move out of the shelter. Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, it felt like I was drunk. City lights stay out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone. Be someone, be someone You got a fast car I got a job that pays all our bills You sell drinking late at the bar Some more your friends than you do your kids I'd always hope for better Thought maybe together you and me find it I got no plans, I ain't going nowhere Take your fast car and keep on driving So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast it felt like I was drunk City lights stay out before Your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged I, I had a feeling I could be someone Someone, be someone
you gotta fast car Is it fast enough so you can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way Australia. Contribute your content in digitube.com.au. Sign up for a free account and select your options for streaming. Download and broadcast promotion. A 3CR supporter. Listen to Rock and Roots, 2am till 6. Every Sunday morning on 8.55am. Melbourne's Community Radio... 3CR. Maybe the color give me rock and shoes. I'm gonna rock away all my blues. We're rock. We're rocking. We're rocking. Rocking this joint tonight. Going down to the corner, see what it's all about. Gonna rock and roll, gonna jump and chow. We're rocking. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is a Living Free Show on 3CR. 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with April Long, CEO of Smart Recovery Australia, who is based not in Sydney, as I said before, but in Newcastle. Um, So, April, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit now about the role smart recovery plays in supporting individuals, their family, and also the broader community? Yeah, absolutely. So we train organisations, volunteers, uh, practitioners, mental health workers, nurses, um, a whole range of people in the community to be able to deliver a smart meeting. Um, so those meetings happen both online as well as face-to-face where people come together and really make a plan for the next seven days to gain control of their lives and obviously to want to live a healthier, happier life where they have more control um, over whatever um, their behaviour of concern is. So that could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be shopping, Mm. uh, could be gaming. Um, And we run about 211 of those um, across the country with about, yeah, 67 being held online. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it really depends on um, where the person is and, you know, we talk a lot about the stages of change. They might um, be there because a lawyer has suggested they come because they've got an upcoming criminal matter um, and they might not really be ready to commit to change. Um, but they're there to listen and to learn and slowly our facilitators work with them um, and then we have people who you know, have been attending for years um, and continue to attend. Um, so really right across the spectrum. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, we know um, there's about half a million Australians who, who need help and can't access it. So 
we really want to grow those meetings so that we can actually meet the needs that's out there in the community. And if people go to the website, they'll get a um, show that'll show them where to get the online meetings. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, the face-to-face meetings are also listed there. But you know, the the great thing is if you know you you're listening and you know you want to get a bit of support, you can jump on and access the meeting. They run at different times. They're online. Um, and it's just a great way to be able to, you know, get some support and, you know, not have to, um, you know, make really big changes quickly, mm. but just focus on the here and now and, you know, what can you do in the next seven days to be able to get some control back around um, your life and, and these behaviours. Mm. So the seven days is a, is a key thing, is it? A key, key idea? Yeah, look, absolutely. We, we find that, you know, it's, um, it's really good for people to, be able to make a plan and then in the next seven days when they come back to the meeting, just check in and how did you go, you know, setting really realistic goals. Um, the program really works around four basic points. So for those who are familiar with um, other programs, we don't have steps but rather, you know, kind of four key points that we work into each meeting and that's building and maintaining motivation, coping with your urges and cravings, um, problem solving around your own, you know, thoughts, feelings and behaviours and living a balanced life. And, you know, we find that those four points sit across any behaviour. So you can be in a meeting with someone who's there um, because of, you know, concerns they have around alcohol, but, you you know, someone's also there for gaming, someone also might be there for, you know, ice. Um, So we don't actually talk about the substance, but rather what's the behaviour that sits underneath. Mm. Interesting. And and if you were a family member of someone who was struggling um, with a substance or a behaviour, would you be in that meeting too or would you be in a, a separate meeting? It's a separate meeting um, and generally um, our facilitators come from lived experience. So that's another um, key focus across, you know, all of our programs, but particularly family and friends. So, you know, we don't actually focus on your loved one. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, my father you know, if I was attending a family and friends meeting, it's, it's actually about me. Mm. Um, it's actually about, as we said, putting your own oxygen mask on. So um, that's the real focus of the family and friends program. Um, it's actually, you know, working on how we're going to support you um, versus the, your loved one that's in addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned there the importance of lived experience. So how does that guide the work that Smart Recovery does and why is it so important that the facilitators have um, lived experience? I think lived experience is, is critical um, and that doesn't mean that we don't prioritise research and evaluation. We work with an incredible research advisory council and you know, some of Australia's leading addiction scientists. However, I think the real power of a smart meeting and the smart model is when you see a former participant transition to a facilitator, um, when you see them um, continue to run a smart group that they once themselves were a part of as a participant. Mm. Um, So, you know, for us, that role modelling, you know, that recovery is possible is is so powerful to see. Um, So for us, we have a structured program for peers um, we, we, you know, talk about our LX, our lived experience peers who, you know, are trained um, and, you know, it's a very structured process to make sure they're ready to step up to be a facilitator and um, to be supported. And, you know, I had the, the real privilege recently being in Canberra at the 
rethink addiction convention and to have one of our um, peer facilitators get up and address that room. Mm. And, you know, um, I really think it's um, why our model is so successful um, because, you know, it signals to the rest of the group, you can do this, you know, mm. um, and it is possible um, and it gives them a pathway to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So is there a lot of opportunity for uh, members to move on to being facilitators? Is it something that's encouraged? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we have, you know, a, a structured program where, you know, it's, um, cost isn't a barrier. You know, um, we actually have the training with our national trainers that support them. So, you know, and it's great to see, you know, for me as CEO, people who reach out all the time who haven't been through the SMART program itself but say, you know, I've got my behaviour under control or I'm sober and I'd love to give back. And so, mm. which is a wonderful way for you to give back to the community and, you know, empower people wherever they're at at their journey to know that it's possible. And, you know, that saying you can't be what you can't see um, is, you know, really critical, I think, in this space. Yep. And what are the priorities for Smart Recovery moving forward? Are you looking to grow the organisation and get a bigger voice with government? Or- yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at the moment, <clears throat> we've got 2,000 people that we're supporting weekly and, you know, we want to grow that to 10,000. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're launching um, a new strategic plan in December with our first annual report and, you know, that has a really bold ambition to be Australia's first choice in mutual support. Um, for me, being Aboriginal, being gay, having lived experience of addiction and relatively young I think I can still call myself young. (laughs) You know, there's a real strong focus on diversity because, you know, we want to grow our youth programs, our corrections programs, our Aboriginal programs because we know that recovery works best when people self-manage and are supported by their community. Mm. So we have women's only groups. We have LGBTIQ only groups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a real strong focus under our new strategic plan is to yes, grow the number of, you know, meetings that we're currently running from 211 to 1,000, but also, you know, the quality of those meetings and for people to have that sense of community around them um, because we know it's really important uh, for people to be able to, you know, hear from others in their community and get that support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is there a board? Is there is the structure, is there a board that, that you you answer to or...? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have an amazing board. Um, they've got experience, you know, right across the mental health and, and corporate governance space. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're working really hard to make sure that, you know, we achieve our, our new strategic plan. And as I said, it's um, going to launch in December and it's a five-year strategy. And so, you know, when we met together as a board and, and with the staff recently and there was me coming in as a new CEO, you know, we had those conversations and, you know, what it really came down to is that lives depend on us growing the SMART program. Yep. You know, we need to be bold um, because the people we support need us to be bold. Um, so, yeah, I've got um, a wonderful, wonderful board, wonderful team and staff and then amazing members. So, you know, Turning Point, Odyssey House, Palmerston, mm-hmm. you know, some of the peaks in the space who... You know, we train to then run our programs. Yep. 
Okay, we'll take another break there, and we're gonna we've got this Tracy Chapman day today, so we've got another kind <laughs> another codependency song for all the codependents out there, um, and this one's called uh, "For My Lover." in the Virginia jail for my lover, for my lover, $20,000 bail for my lover, for my lover, and everybody thinks I'm the fool, they don't get any love from you, things we won't do for love. If I had to risk my life so I could have you, 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 you. Every day I'm psychoanalyzed for my lover, for my lover. Show me up and I tell him lies for my lover, for my lover. Everybody thinks I'm the fool. They don't get. Any love from you Things we won't do for love Climb a mountain if I had to Risk my life so I could have you your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20.
The Sewer Show. Squatters and unwaged airwaves. Presenting views, news and interviews from the Centrelink queues. Information on your squatting, legal and other rights. Troublemaking news from around the world. Coming at you every Friday between 5.30 and 6.30pm on 3CR. This is a Living Free show on 3CR digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org forward slash streaming. And we're talking with April Long, CEO of Smart Recovery Australia. Are you there, April? Yes, I'm still here. Are oh, you there now, April? I was so, enjoying Tracy Chapman and, and having a sing-along, okay. but I'm back. <laughs> Great. Good to have you back. Um, okay, so uh, what am I going to ask you now? I'm, I'm going to say... Mm, we'll, we'll move on to self-care, I think. So so you've had lived experience of addiction in families. Um, and as someone with lived experience, what sort of self-care would you recommend to others who are in relationships with people with addictions? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mentioned um, before around the, the four Cs and, you know, having just that there um, as an understanding was really important for me. You, know, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it and you can't control it. All you can do um, is cope with it. Now, that sounds good in theory, but what does that actually look like in practice? And, you know, how do you actually, um, you know, practice self-care? And um, for me, um, that was really living a balanced lifestyle and, you know, making sure I was doing things to stay well and stay healthy that um, focused on me. Um, And, you know, when you're so caught up um, trying to support somebody that you love and, you know, watching them in pain... um, you can forget about yourself um, and, you know, very quickly everything becomes about that. Mm. And that's a problematic behaviour in itself, isn't it, on your part? Absolutely. And that's what our Family and Friends Program really helps people unpack. Um, You know, how can you actually set boundaries? And, you know, it took me a really long time to realise that I can be a good person with a kind heart and still say no, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And that meant that I can't be at every family function. Um, that meant that, you know, I, I had to put boundaries in there um, that changed the dynamic of the relationship. And, you know, what it actually really meant, that that was the only way that we did know how to relate. So when you take away that substance and you take away that constant needing to fix, um, how do you recalibrate and have a relationship that doesn't have those um, things at the core and at the heart? But... I think when you do that, um, you know, you set a really clear expectation um, for your loved one and for yourself and you slowly start to, you know, um, have a path forward that is healthier for for both of you. Mm. And then in the meantime, you know, aside from the relationship, you can be, I've got one of your, your handouts here and it's got planning an enjoyable life worksheet. So, yes. <laughs> so how would someone work with that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, again, it's looking at, well, what are your goals and, you know, um, what is it that's, you know, motivating you to want to change? And, um, you know, we have these really great worksheets in our program manuals where, you know, you can actually start to um, talk about, well, you know, what's motivating you to change? Um, you know, what are the changes that you've noticed? Um how are they affecting your life? And, you know, just like somebody who's, you know, um, dealing with a problematic behaviour or addiction has an urge launch um, along, you have that too. So, you know, yep. um, 
am I getting the you know the need to want to jump in and fix something? How strong is it? How yep. long does it last? Um, and how did I manage it? Um, so we have these really good tools that you can you know work through in your own time. And our meetings don't have a set um, structure where you go through you know a worksheet in each meeting, but rather you have these tools and you can work through them at your own pace in between meetings. But mm. also you know say to your facilitator. You know, I really want to work on the cost-benefit analysis tool this session, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and really unpack what are the disadvantages of, of not doing this behaviour. Um, so they're there as a way to be able to guide conversation and um, to do work in between uh, sessions as well. Yeah. Now, we all know the kind of urges that people with addictions might have, you know, the urge to drink or the urge to eat or gamble. What sort of urges do people get who are um, family members of people with these behaviours? I think that um, you you talked about codependency and, you know, the urge. I mean, I spoke about that, wanting to fix constantly. Mm. Um, So, you know, quite often what can happen is that you're so focused on um, the behaviour and what's happening that, you know, your urges are really actually about trying to control that individual Mm -hmm. and the behaviour, you know. Um, And becoming quite, you know, panicked around it and um, catastrophizing what's going on. Um, So I think that trying to fix the person really is something that we see um, and, you know, crossing your own personal boundaries is another urge that we see. Um, So actually not having those, you know, boundaries up and saying, yeah, I am going to come, I am going to do this, I am going to... Um, you know, not necessarily participating in the behaviour, but, um, you know, being in an environment that makes me feel uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. you know, we try and work on actually, you know, communication skills and, um, you know, being able to say when a behaviour is unacceptable, but doing so, you know, without judgement and showing concern and respect for the individual. So we we have those urge logs there to, you know, help um, understanding as well for the person with the um, addictive behaviour. Mm-hmm. And do people who are struggling with the primary addiction, do they um, ever talk about the impact of, of their family members understanding them better? Like do they, is, have you heard much about people saying they feel better now that the stigma's gone, now that their addiction isn't front and centre of the relationship? Absolutely, I think having that shared language where it's about the behaviour and not the substance um, creates an ability to be able to communicate in a way that wasn't there. Um, And, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find a smart recovery meeting where the individual didn't talk about the impact that it's having on their family and their loved ones. Mm. When we talk about the motivation for change, and, you know, I've seen this in correctional centres, I've, you know, seen this with smart recovery meetings, um, you know, quite often when they're doing the cost-benefit analysis, you know, not using or not doing the behaviour, um, you know, their loved ones are, are right there and, you know, wanting to be a good role model for my children, mm. not wanting to disappoint my mum, you know, um, not wanting to, you know, relapse and go back to prison or, you know, um, to end up, you know, homeless or you hear this all the time and I think what the Smart Recovery Family and Friends program does is, enable that language uh, between um, and, you know, being able to really, 
you know, recognise that um, our loved ones are so much more than those behaviours and, you know, we can support and we can love whilst, you know, looking after ourselves, finding our own communities, putting that oxygen mask on and, and recognising our own behaviours can also be problematic. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, that's a big one, you know, yep. um, and, and a core cool part of it. So yep. um, I love that, you know, we're doing the same tools, we're using the same language and, you know, we're building community mm-hmm. and that's the real key. And it sounds like you're making a space um, there that, that both parties or however many parties are involved can, can uh, sort of come into in a fresh sort of a way. Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, it's it's healing um, and, you know, we haven't, at, at this stage the groups are, are separate, but, you know, we've talked about bringing the groups together for a session or you know, how do we do that. We know it happens unfacilitated, yeah. um, but, you know, that's something that we are looking at. You know, as I mentioned, we are really developing our programs and we want to grow, um, you know, with the community and, um, go where the need is and mm. if that's something that um, families want then that's something that we're really keen to be able to support. Right, so you've got a strong foundation for building different kinds of um, uh, meetings upon different different aspects of the program. Yeah, look, absolutely. We've got a really strong commitment under our new strategic plan to focus on innovation um, and, you know, as I mentioned, diversity. So, you know, that diversity, inclusion and, and belonging is critical and, um, you know, the fact that we are peer-led and, you know, if our community says we really need this group, then that's something that, you know, we're going to grow and and focus on. And the latest one in that space is veterans and first responders, which is just having a massive impact globally uh, for smart recovery because we've now got police officers, you know, veterans, Mm. people in active duty saying, we need this and we've had so much stigma that we haven't focused on it. Yep. So that's just a, an example where, um, yeah, we're listening to the demand and, and we're trying to support people in their communities. Yeah. And how, how do you go with, we're in um, the 12-step programs, they have an idea of um, that they'll grow by attraction rather than promotion because it's seen that if you start to promote the thing, you you know, you don't want to end up being an evangelist <laughs> for, for um, sobriety or, you know, whatever, yeah. or not being involved in substances. How do you manage that? So it must be tempting just to go into a prison or a, an Indigenous community or something and just say, look at this, try this. Yeah, look, I think it comes back to the heart of our program is about self-management. Mm. Um, so that... That is, the, you know, the individual, the self, self-determination is at the heart of our program. You know, we don't go into these communities and run smart. We work with local organisations and community members. So, uh-huh. you know, that um, is just critical. But, you know, I, I would challenge that thinking around, you know, we do need to grow the brand. We do mm-hmm. need to grow um, the fact that recovery is possible. Yep. Um, and I love, as I said, when our, you know, participants stand up and are now facilitators. I mean, we have to talk about it. We've got this focus on, you know, mental health and we've gotten so good at, you know, breaking down that stigma. But when it comes to addiction, there's still mm. this other end. And, you know, um, we, we don't have enough role models standing up no. and saying, you know, alcohol was a problem for me, I'm now self-managing. Or, you know, alcohol was a problem for me, I'm now sober. Or, you know, it. I really think... Um, yeah, we need to grow it, but um, as, as you identify, people have to be, you know, empowered and at the centre and, 
just like, you know, the individual has to want to um, change. Yeah. Um, you know, the community that we're working with has to want us there and, and that's the way in which we work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got your um, handout here on stages of change and um, and it's got, you know, these one, two, three, four, five stages, pre-contemplation where the person does not see that there is a problem and that they don't feel they need to change. Contemplation, maybe there is a problem. Preparation, thinking of looking at ways to try and deal with it. Taking action. Uh, and then maintenance, and then dealing with uh, relapse. Can you talk to any of those? Yeah, look, I think um, people, the, the main thing to remember is that they're not linear. Um, people can be at one stage of change and then be at another stage of change. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in a meeting um, and you're a facilitator, you've got people who are at all um, stages of change um, that you're working with. I mean, yeah. I think for me... Um, the real one that seems to have the most stigma around it is around, you know, relapse and that people not understanding that that is part of the process. And I think particularly for loved ones, I know, you know, my own lived experience when, you know, my dad would pick up again mm. or um, I, I didn't have the language or the understanding around the fact that, yeah, the recovery takes a really long time and that, um, it looks different for everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, we at SMART, we'll work with you regardless of where you are at the stages of change. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, your lawyer may have suggested it's a good idea that you come along. Um, but the, the overarching goal is that we empower people and, you know, they empower themselves to recognise where they're at and where they want to be um, in those stages of change. And, you know, we do that in our family and friends program as well so that, people can get a bit more understanding um, around their loved one and, and where they're at. So, mm. um, yeah, look, and, you know, with my own behaviours, um, you know, the best thing that we do during our training is we actually run a smart meeting at the end and everybody has to pick something. Um, <laughs> and mine was my mobile phone. Um, <laughs> and I was highly motivated to change, you know. Maintaining that change is a different thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we all have behaviours and that's why I love that, you know, we actually don't focus on the substance. People can disclose and, and say what the substance is, but we don't label and, you know, you don't have to stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic or mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, a phone addict. Um, <laughs> you know, that it's, yeah, really recognising where people are at and supporting them along the journey. Yeah. And, and tell me, uh, April, if it's, not, if it's not being too personal, what does phone addiction look like for you? What are you doing with that phone? And this is what we get really specific about in the meetings. You know, for me, it was, you know, being on my phone, you know, late at night. Um, mm-hmm. And that was clearly tied to an addiction around work. You, know? <laughs> you start to uncover it and you open, you know, the layers. And, you know, for me, um, you know, sitting underneath that, you know, as we see a lot of the time, probably a coexistence of anxiety. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, again, mental health is, you know, a big factor. So, you know, I was able to, in that meeting, step out, okay, what's a realistic goal? I'm not going to be able to get off it every night because that's not realistic for me about mm. where I'm at in the stages mm. of change. But I'm just going to try, you know, and it was a small experiment, two nights, you know, a week. <laughs> I'm not going to be on my phone, which my partner greatly appreciated. Um, so, you know, that's just a really good example where we yeah. meet people at yeah. um, and, and we work through and, and really unpack what is actually going on because it's not about the mobile phone no no 
you could replace a mobile phone with chocolate, um, which is, you know, yeah. what my partner replaces it with. Um, <laughs> you know, you can replace it with anything. It's, That's right. It's actually going on underneath that. And can you just turn up at a smart recovery meeting and say you're addicted to anxiety or something? And just say yeah, you, look, you can? Yeah, look, we get um, people addicted to anger, addicted to anxiety, mm. addicted to codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's a really big space for smart recovery to play. You know, it's not just about those um, substances, of mm. course, it's around those behaviours. And, you know, people also don't have to disclose why they're, why they're there. Oh, okay. You know, you can actually go through and do um, the worksheets. And, you know, one of the, um, in you know, step four is looking at lifestyle balance exercise. You know, that, that has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, you have an issue with cocaine or alcohol. No. You know, yep. um, goal setting, you know, what's important to me. Well, again, you know, so people don't have to disclose mm-hmm. um, and some people don't. Um, mm-hmm. And look, with our online meetings, we encourage people to turn their cameras on, but some people don't, you know. Yep. Um, and, you know, we want to meet people where they're at. Yep. Okay, this has been great, April. We're, we're coming to the end of the interview. Is there anything you would like to say to 3CR listeners about how they could support Smart Recovery? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think, you know, um, as we've mentioned throughout, if you're somebody who's listening and, you know, you want to get um, some support or you just want to check it out and, and see what it's like, of course, head to our website and, you know, you can find um, a Smart Recovery meeting, be it, you know, online or face-to-face. But if you're, you know, you're a nurse or a GP, you're a, you know, AOD worker, you're somebody in the space you might want to actually look at becoming a facilitator, then, um, you know, you can go on and have a look at our training. Um, and of course, you know, if you're a concerned community member who, you know, wants to um, donate and support our work, mm-hmm. then um, you can do that on our website as well. You know, as I, as I said earlier, I think, um, you know, we've got great opportunity in our country to really change this, this stigma and, and labelling and, and show compassion and yep. you know, advocate for addiction to be seen as a health issue so you yep. can be a part of that. Absolutely. Okay, that's all we have got time for. So thank you very much again, April. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Uh, if you're concerned about your own problematic behaviour or the problematic behaviour of, or of a relative or friend, and we'd like to find out more about Smart Recovery, you can contact them at smartrecoveryaustralia.com.au or call them on 02-9373-5100. Coming up next, we have Balamoire, the spirit of Wa, hosted by Uncle Taljum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got a song called Light at the End of the Road by Fiona Boys.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.